I've spent the past 30 years or so writing biographies of other people and tonight I want to turn the lens at least halfway around and talk about my own life with one of my subjects, the spy writer John le Carré. It can be a strange thing to meet and get to know one of your favourite authors. After all, you've already spent quite a long time, many hours with him or with her, or so it seems. As you read, you can hear their voices echoing in your head, especially if they have a very distinctive voice, um, if that writer has a very distinctive voice as, as John le Carré had. In my case, I have been reading John le Carré for, I don't know, almost four decades when we met. Some of the novels I had read several times over. I first encountered John le Carré on my parents' bookshelves when I was a teenager. Uh, I still have uh, copies of the first two novels, his first two novels that I read then in their battered, uh, in their pale green penguin crime covers, uh, um, now rather battered, but, but still more or less intact. And of course, I read The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, the, the bestseller that, that uh, propelled him to stardom. Um, in the 1970s, I devoured uh, Le Carre's Quest for Carla trilogy, uh, originally envisaged, as I would later discover, as a much longer sequence. Um, and like everybody else alive at the time, I watched uh, uh, the um, Alec Guinness um, portraying George Smiley in the two classic BBC TV adaptations, Tinker Tailor, Soldier, Spy in 1979 and Smiley's People in 1982. At some point, I discovered that John le Carre was a pen name for somebody called David Cornwall. By the early 1980s, I was married and living in North London. Uh, my wife and I uh, enjoyed walking on Hampstead Heath and and there we would sometimes uh, I'd be able to identify uh, locations which Le Carre had used in his novels. At weekends, uh, uh, on several occasions, we walked across the heath to, uh, to a pub for lunch called the Wells Tavern. And something like 30 years later, that was the same pub where I would often go with David Cornwall. My involvement with David started in the most straightforward possible way. I, I wrote him a letter proposing myself as his biographer, and he replied, um, suggesting that I come and see him at his house in Hampstead uh, to discuss the suggestion. This was in the summer of 2010. David was welcoming and introduced me to his wife, his second wife, Jane, uh, to whom he'd then been married for half a lifetime. He made it clear that he wanted me to write without restraints, as he put it, which was what I wanted too. I estimated that it would take me four years to write, which in fact it proved, proved to be accurate. In, my, uh, in his reply to my uh, initial letter, David had highlighted two biographical problems. Uh, one was his habitual reluctance to discuss, to, uh, to discuss his uh, very spectacular, my very spec, unspec, my, 
Let me start that again. I'm going to read what he said. My very limited and unspectacular career in intelligence. And the other was what he called my own messy personal life. I was able to overcome the first problem, at least to my own satisfaction. Uh, though David remained silent on his time with MI5 and MI6, I heard about it nonetheless. If I could not provide all the details, I was able to trace his career in espionage and to show how, when, and where he worked throughout. Over the next few years, I had more than half a dozen day-long sessions with David, in which I was able to interrogate him in detail about his past. These amounted to perhaps 50 or 60 hours in total. The normal pattern was for me to arrive at his house in North London uh, at about 11 in the morning, and we'd talk for a couple of hours and then head off for lunch. Uh, afterwards, we'd return to his house and continue talking until the early evening with uh, often, well, in fact, invariably a fortifying drink in the late afternoon. Uh, I, I, I very much enjoyed his company at first, and, and, uh, and uh, which was his company was always stimulating and often fun. And I sometimes had to remind myself that we weren't really friends. I did, however, find that I was disappointed by what he had to say. Much of what he told me um, consisted of generalities or stories with which I was already familiar. Um, some of which I suspected to be exaggerated or even fabricated. Uh, only now does it occur to me that David may have failed to understand the function of these sessions. Uh, for me, they were a guide to further investigations and a source of anecdotal detail. For him, as later became apparent, they were a form of dictation. When eventually he was able to read what I had written, he seemed surprised that I had not taken down what he had said verbatim. Uh, as well as visiting David in London, I made several trips to his house in Cornwall, where I would work in his archive and take my meals with David and Jane when they were there too. Through, though his records were chaotic and... Uh, and far from complete, I was, uh, I, I found there the factual foundation on which to build my biography. David gave me introductions to current and former friends, some now enemies, uh, former colleagues, and members of his own family. One contact led to another. On the Essex shoreline, I, uh, I crunched along the shingle, in Southern California, I strolled along a dusty track into the, uh, into the scrub. In a single month, I flew to Germany four times, uh, each time returning that same day. I began to feel like George Smiley, patiently reconstructing the past from fragmentary detail. I became aware that some of my interviewees were reporting back to David on what had been said. From time to time, I would receive a chatty letter from him, often with greetings and, uh, of some kind and, and news of what had been happening in his world. Both the letters themselves and the envelopes were almost always handwritten. 
suggesting to me, at any rate, that they uh, that nobody else knew what he had written, or perhaps even that he had written to me at all. The crisis in my relations with David occurred when I began to uncover evidence of his extramarital affairs. In doing so, I cannot claim any special skills as a detective. On the contrary, I learned about his mistresses almost uh, at random. I was told about one at lunch one day by our fellow guests. Um, I learned about another late one night at a party. David's half-sister Charlotte told me about another mistress, an American photographer. Um, when I contacted her, she was, uh, she was friendly and, and open and um, agreed to talk. But after she spoke to David, she completely changed her tune. I want no part in your book, she wrote to me. I heard about another uh, um, woman, uh, uh, an Italian journalist uh, from, a, from someone who knew David well. To him, um, to, the, to, to, to my friend who'd known him well, um, uh, she, uh, she spoke freely about her affair with David, but to me, she pretended that it had been a misunderstanding. As soon as one of David's ex-mistresses opened her mouth, so it seemed, David uh, shut her up. I was not especially interested in David's personal life in itself, though I could scarcely ignore the fact that betrayal was a recurrent theme of his. It did occur to me that a man who lives a double life is a man under pressure. Did this pressure energize the work? The life of a writer, even of a best-selling writer, is not very exciting. At essence, you just sit alone in a room with a pen or a keyboard. Perhaps the drama of, the, his late, of, of David's later years uh, was hidden. Was sexual were sexual adventures a relief from the tedium of the writing life? Was the excitement of adultery with the risk of exposure a stimulus to creativity? Was it a substitute for spying? The tension between David and me increased as I learned more about him. I think our continuing relationship is an achievement in itself, he wrote to me in 2014, when the book was nearing completion. As, as it reached that stage, he became more and more agitated, and at one stage even suggested that he was contemplating suicide. I was seriously alarmed. I had come to praise Caesar not to bury him. That said, from close quarters, I had come to recognize flaws in the man I'd admired so much from a distance. One characteristic of his that dismayed me was his tendency to badmouth the people around him, his agent, his publisher, even his own sons. And probably, I began to realize, me. I wondered if I might read the books in a different way after such prolonged exposure to the man who had written them. In my mind, I began to distinguish between John le Carré, a writer whom I had always admired, and David Cornwall, a complex, driven, unhappy man. By early 2014, the biography was almost complete. David arranged for Jane to meet me without him at their house in Hampstead. On the unwritten agenda was the topic of his infidelities. 
David greeted me at the door and ushered me into the living room where we had often conducted our interviews. Then Jane appeared and David left the room and a short while later I heard the front door slam. This was the first time that Jane and I had been alone together for more than a few moments. I felt awkward and she seemed tense. Neither of us wanted to be having this talk. We began by discussing an earlier draft that I'd sent to David. Then rather abruptly, the conversation moved on to the topic which I had been dreading and neither of us wanted, really wanted to discuss. She stammered out some lines which had evidently been rehearsed, which I dutifully copied into my notebook. Nobody can have all of David, she told me. There was no real discussion. I think that both of us were relieved to draw the session to an end. I mumbled my goodbyes and left. Negotiations continued through subsequent drafts, even after the book had cop been copy edited. Belatedly, I remembered that David was in the habit of rewriting his books in proof, a privilege denied to ordinary authors. On the 1st of May, 2015, when the book was already in proof, Jane sent me by email a typed 22-page memorandum containing 196 numbered points of items that David wished to contest. I was able to deal with most of these straightforwardly enough, though it was unusual to be contemplating changes at this late stage and introduce the possibility of error as a result. Sometimes, the discussion was circular. On at least one occasion, for example, I was able to demonstrate to him that a source that he had questioned was himself. He seemed disgruntled, a tone that I found reflected in private letters to others that I did not see until they were published in volume form towards the end of 2002, after David's death. As for me, I felt worn down by the seeming un seemingly unending whittling away at what I'd written. And by this time, my overriding motive was simply to get to the end of the process one way or another. After such a bruising experience, I was pleasantly surprised to receive a friendly letter from David on the day my book was published in two October 2015. I'm sure you're having a great time, so enjoy it, he wrote with only a slight edge. What's done is done. In the same week, it was announced that he was writing a memoir, which some have since interpreted as uh, an act of sabotage or even a betrayal of our original agreement. In due course, he sent me an advanced copy of, of the memoir inscribed on the title page. I wrote a piece about it in The Guardian. I never saw him again after that. Our last contact came almost four years later when I sent him a pre-publication proof of another book I'd written about a con man who in some ways resembled his father, Ronnie. David seems to have enjoyed what I, what I had written and sent me a nice letter about it. 18 months later, he was dead. I did have one final encounter with him when in some Soho screening rooms, I watched a rough cut of a film based on his memoir, The Pigeon Tunnel. In a further twist, I'd been hired as a consultant. There on the screen was David again, 
smiling and laughing, weaving his spell once more as he told a succession of stories, some of which I knew to be untrue, or at least partially so. Try as I might, I couldn't suppress a feeling of affection for the old magician. <laughs> 